Well, Patty, I really enjoy our episode today and we kind of mixed things up a little bit. We decided to put our questions in the field and insiders first before the interview. Um, You know, I thought it would be interesting. Our interview today is one that I really want our listeners to hear and understand, but it's not exactly payments related directly. It's it's marketing. And I've had feedback from our listeners before that they say, well, we want want all payment specific stuff, but I think these worlds of payments and marketing are coming together and we have a really interesting conversation with Sishu. So stick around to hear that at the end, but I'm going to first dive in with questions in the field, talking about options, selling, very Mm -hmm. practical, just interesting tips that you can utilize. And then tell us about the uh, insiders report. I thought it was very Uh, interesting. Yeah, we're talking about Apple, you know, and it's in the legal crosshairs. Uh, There are some um, card issuers out there that just aren't too happy with the way Apple Pay works. And so keep a listen. I think you'll find it interesting. I agree. And of course, this episode is brought to you by NMI.com and IrisCRM.com. And uh, I actually want today to talk about Iris. I actually had a really interesting conversation earlier today, Patty, with a longtime uh, industry insider. And uh-huh. they were talking about how amazing it is that it's literally taken, um, you know, Dimitri, who started Iris. Right. Um, it's taken him about, I think it's something like 15 years. Don't quote me on that, but about 15 years to be able to get all of these big processors to agree Mm -hmm. to integrate their underwriting departments with Iris. And it's amazing. And the result of that is just quite, you know, just, it's just incredible because they have the ability for you to do your onboarding through Iris and have mm-hmm. this really seamless experience for your agents, whether you're selling for First Data or Tesis or Elevon or Evo. And that's really important, I think, in our industry right now to remove that friction. Um, the more friction you can remove, the better. Yeah. And so I think if you really want to learn more about that, let me really encourage you to go to iriscrm.com. That's I-R-I-S-C-R-M.com. Schedule a free demo. Obviously, there's just so much to unpack there. We couldn't even get into all of it in a, in a short commercial here, but... You know, the right. idea is if you are in the payment processing industry, I had a consulting call, Patty, um, yesterday with somebody, uh-huh. and new company getting into the business. And they said, what technology should we use for agent residuals and all of that? And I said, well, look, I said, at the end of the day, you could try a lot of different solutions. But the problem is nobody has the integrations that Iris right. has. Right. So the opportunity no cost, really. yeah, it's like the opportunity cost of going with somebody else. You're going to spend countless man hours trying to figure out how to piece everything together with Iris, yes. you pay for it. It's plug and play. It's already integrated. You're going to automatically pull all the data in, automatically right. calculate residuals, automatically pay them out, have the dashboard for your agents, for your merchants. It just kind of has everything ready and to it's go. It's so simple already. and easy to yeah. use. I mean, it really is. I've, I've looked at it myself a few times and yep. it's like, it's it's so simple. Well, and again, I think and I think the key is not only is it simple to use, but the the thing about it is people will tell me all the time, well, James, it's, it's a CRM. I mean, we could use Salesforce. We could use Zoho. We could use other things. And I say, well, yeah, from a CRM perspective, sure, they have ticketing, they have, you know, customer service, they have agent, they have calculations. But the thing that Iris has is these integrations. Integrations. You're going to spend yeah, yeah. so much time and 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 it could take literally could take over a year or two sometimes to get this data from your processor through mm-hmm. an API, then you got to have developers to get it into your CRM. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, inevitably you're going to have somebody in your finance department spending a week a month doing calculations, do spreadsheets and trying to figure everything out and giving your agents a less than optimal experience. When you use Iris, all the data just pulls right in and it automatically has the dashboard so your agents can go and yeah. have the transparency to see yeah. how the residuals are working and, and that integration, not to mention that integration working as far as from the beginning to end. So from creating an account all the way through getting paid for it. So anyway, all that to say, yes. check them out, 
iriscrm.com. The reason we mentioned them is, of course, I should have mentioned this earlier. They are owned by NMI, which is our sponsor. So NMI and Iris uh, have some integrations together. Um, but iriscrm.com, check them out. You will love it. And with that being said, let's dive into the questions from the field. Let's do it. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So Patty, today I want to talk about option selling, which I've talked about before in different ways. I think it's one of the most undervalued skills um, in the merchant services and the payment space um, today. And, and so what this skill is, to just define it real quickly and easily, it is the ability to take a series of different, you know, complex solutions that you can sell, mm -hmm. evaluate which solutions would be best for the client, Mm -hmm. then present the client with the solution through a series of questions that mm -hmm. gives them different options to choose from. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think one of the big challenges for merchant salespeople today, as I talk to them is that, you know, they're like, Hey James, I'm trying to make this transition to selling technology, but you know, it's not like they're selling square. I mean, you know, where it's like, here's the reader, here's the point of sale system, which one is best for you? It's right. like, should I sell Balor? Deja vu. Should I sell which, you know, Zusa? Should I sell Quantix? The, you know, Clover. And it's like, and then should I do dual pricing? Should I do flat rate? Mm -hmm. Should I do interchange plus? What about omni-channel? Do they need a gateway? Do they need invoicing? Do they need text marketing? And then, you know, today we talked to a guy who does marketing. And it's like, well, do we need, you know, it's like, wow. I mean, there's just yeah. so much. So much. And ultimately, trying to sell a small business owner, um, is just something that needs to be simple. So mm -hmm. our job is to take complexity and to turn it into simplicity yeah. for the business owner. That is the key. So I want to talk for just a second about how to do that. I, I think there's several steps involved. I talked about this a little bit more in a merchant sales insight recently, but it just kind of came to mind and I wanted to speak it. It's a little easier sometimes to get it across mm -hmm. that way. Yeah. Right. Um, number one, I think there are, you know, there are, different sections of things that we need to get one solution that we have. So as an example, I think every one of our listeners right now should have a credit card terminal, a smart terminal, right. a tablet point of sale system, and yep. two full feature point of sale systems. If they're going to, if you're going to go try to sell everybody, right? Like if you're going to go one vertical, this gets a lot easier. It's one of the reasons I promote that. But right. if you're going to go scattershot, which is not like the worst idea right now, I mean, it still works. Um, I think three years from now, it's going to be a lot more difficult, but if you want to go that route, you need to know these devices inside and out. So you need to have your group. So you say, well, my, my ISO offers seven different terminals. Okay. Pick one, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. you don't need that many terminals. They're all do almost, you know, a lot of do the same things. There's certain advantages with some, depending on what you do versus what you, you know? So the idea is pick your device, get really good at that device. Right. Um, right. Then you got to pick your smart terminal. Right. How does it work? What does it do? Maybe a simple tablet point of sale system. Maybe not. Maybe you say, no, you know what? I'm either going to do a regular terminal or I'm going to do a tablet, basic tablet. Then you need to have your full feature devices, right? And so you want to think broadly about, again, if you're going to sell a lot of different verticals, 
you know, you want to be thinking about a Clover. You want to be thinking about a Zusa. You want to be thinking about these ones that have multiple different options, different apps, different features, mm-hmm. whatever it is, right. and get really good at that. So you need to know it. You know, then you move on and you have your pricing. You need to understand how do you board a merchant on dual pricing, on traditional pricing, and on flat rate. Those are the three I think you need to know. And again, you need to understand how it works. You need to understand how to do the, the merchant onboarding. Make sure you have a smooth process to sign people up. Right. Then we go to our omni-channel stuff. Well, we need right. to have a mobile swiper solution, mm-hmm. right? We need to have invoicing, which I think is super important to have text and email invoicing. Um, Correct. And then we also need to make sure that we have um, some other solutions for them to process payments. For instance, hosted payment pages, which are one of my favorites to use for local small businesses. If they've got like, you know, they sell the same $300 product or service all day, every day. Well, mm-hmm. give them a link for a hosted payment page. So the idea is step one is just get to know your solutions and don't get, you know, it's easy to be overwhelmed by, wow, my ISO has all these things. All okay. this stuff, right. You need to pick like nine or 10 things that you're going to sell and get to know those nine or 10, get your demo unit, understand how to present it, understand how it works, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Step number two is come up with the questions that you're going to ask, right? So you would say things like, um, you know, Susan, it was great talking with you. Let me ask you a question. Based on what you've told me so far, it seems like sending an invoice to your catering clients that you have a couple times a month would be an interesting addition. If I was able to throw that in for free, is that something that would interest you? Right? Or you would say to them, hey, I've got a couple different options for you here. So we have the you know regular terminal, but then we also have the smart terminal. Now, the main difference is that the smart terminal is going to be better at collecting customer data so that mm-hmm. you can use that for your marketing efforts. Is right. that something that interests you or should we go with the regular terminal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right? I see where you're going with this. So we're getting, we have options. And so you right. put this together. I like to do sets of three. So to me, I kind of want to go through like three questions usually. Mm-hmm. I feel like you should be able, if you're really good at this and you understand what you're, you understand both your solutions and you understand the businesses you're going after, you should be able in three questions to then provide them the entire solution. So you're going to have a question about, the hardware that's going to be at their business. Right. Again, we're selling local physical location type businesses or we're selling HVAC and they might need a mobile terminal or a swiper, right? But mm-hmm. the hardware that they're going to use at their location, then we look at the, um, the you know, uh, ways they're going to accept payments that are not at their location, the omni-channel. So are they going to mm-hmm. invoice? So are they going to do, do they need e-commerce? You know, whatever it is. So it's the, the you know, not at the location. Um, you know, then the third one is the pricing. What's going to be best there within though you should have a question for each of those. And at the end of those questions, done deal. You now, should have your fat, your proposal. Yes. Yeah. And, and so you, then you just wrap that all up and they've already agreed to it because you sold it by presenting these options and they chose which option they wanted. So it's kind of like give them options for hardware. They choose one, give them options for omni-channel. They might choose one. They might not give them options for pricing. They choose one done sign them up. Now right. the only remaining part of this is the order you present them in. That's the final step is kind of really thinking through the order and you think of it in order of importance. So as an example, if I'm selling somebody on dual pricing uh, where I'm eliminating the processing fees, I'm going to start with that. So I'm going to say, Hey, you know what? I'm sure you've seen these fuel stations where they've eliminated the cost of processing because they have a card price and a cash price. You've you've seen that, right? Yes. Okay, great. So I definitely want to talk about the technology and all that because I think that's really important. But my Mm -hmm. first question is, are you willing to eliminate the payment processing fees? Are you willing to give that a shot? And I want to find out that first. Then I might even say, if not, maybe I'll say, what about flat rate pricing or traditional? So I want to get that one first if I'm going to do dual pricing. 
if I'm going to do traditional pricing, like Interchange Plus, that's going to be at the end because it's not that important. I'm going to say, now, obviously on the payment processing, we'll talk about that last because that's kind of a commodity. I know I can save you some money on that, which I'm sure you've heard before. But let's talk about the technology first. Now, as far as your point of sale system, right? So if I'm, if I'm going to do traditional, I'm going to start with something else because that's not really that cool, right? Right, right? So you got to figure out which of these options you have in mind is most important. So rank them in order of importance and then present them as questions to the merchant and then write the deal up. So just some little sales tips I thought might help some people as they're thinking through the way that they're um, presenting is, is thinking about it in terms of options and really taking your expertise to the next level. Great advice. Thanks, James. Thanks, buddy. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Well, James, as anyone who owns an iPhone like you knows, Apple Pay is the only tap and pay solution that can be loaded onto the devices. You know, you can forget about competing wallets like Google Pay or Samsung Pay. Right. Well, you know, it's more than just an inconvenience because one Iowa credit union is suing the tech giant, claiming this policy violates federal antitrust law. And I love it when stories come to my attention about antitrust law that don't involve Visa MasterCard. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) That's what everybody expects, you know? Right, exactly. You know, it's also taking issue with the fact that Apple charges card issuers per transaction fees. Yeah. 15 basis point on credit card payments, five cents for debit. Mm -hmm. And um, Apple can't pass those costs along. Um, Or excuse me, not Apple, but the the card issuers cannot pass those those charges. So in 2019, Apple collected about a billion dollars in transaction fees, according to the lawsuit which was filed by Affinity Credit Union in the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California. Lawsuit claims the yearly tab will swell to $4 billion in 2023. Now, last count, there were just shy of 5,500 card issuers on the Apple Pay app. So if you work at just sheer averages, that's like um, almost three quarters of a million dollars a year, yeah. 730000 Now, Affinity argues that Apple Pay violates federal antitrust law by tying two products together, its mobile phones and wallets, thereby foreclosing rival solutions and monopolizing the tap and pay mobile wallets on iOS. Quote, when you compare the functionality of Apple Pay to mobile wallets available on Android devices like Google Pay and Samsung Pay, you're essentially holding up a mirror They are essentially identical, said the lawyer who represents Affinity. And yet the same service on Android that a card issuers pay absolutely nothing for cost them a collective billion dollars a year um, through Apple Pay. The reason is simple. There is competition on Android devices with multiple wallets offering contactless payments, whereas Apple has barred all rivals. Now, here's the thing. You know, when you look at it, you say, okay, it's just a small credit you know, credit union, you know, they're going against Apple. Yeah, good luck. Well, the law firm that's representing them, it's called Hagen's Berman, it's in San Francisco, already has a track record of winning against Apple in court. Really? 
Yeah, they uh, secured a $560 million settlement um, against Apple and several publishing companies regarding price fixing in the ebook market. And just this past June, they secured $100 million in an out-of-court settlement from Apple uh, regarding a lawsuit filed on behalf of small app developers who accused Apple of using its app store monopoly to impose profit-killing, quote-unquote, commissions. Hmm. Um, and it's also worth noting that this lawsuit follows um, an announcement by the European Commission that it's opened an a formal antitrust invest investigation of Apple Pay for similar reasons. Mm. Um, it says the, the uh, European Union regulator said it's important that Apple measures do not deny consumers the benefits of new payment technologies, including better choice, quality, innovation, and competitive prices. You know, it's so, interesting as you're, as you're talking about it, it's like I'm thinking through it, and it, it actually does it never really struck me before because of course Apple is very closed in a way, right. but, but I think it is interesting that Apple pay does go against the grain, even for Apple, because you think about music as an example, mm -hmm. right? Well, you have Apple music and there's some really big advantages to using that, but they didn't prevent me from downloading SoundCloud. Right. Or YouTube music. Right. right? right. Um, then you think about even the app store and you would say, well, the app store is anti-competitive because you know it you have to develop it their way kind of that last lawsuit and it, and it is true there's some crazy commissions there but at the same time you know it's open to any developer that wants to put something put on there mm -hmm. and whereas apple pay really is just extremely i mean it is just anti-competitive i mean it's, there's no doubt that it's anti-competitive i mean whether or not it's right. illegal is the question but i mean it's definitely anti-competitive although i do have to think that this credit union in this particular case has to be looking for a settlement i can't imagine they think they're gonna oh. win Oh, I, mean, I, I can't imagine either. Apple but, would take this to the Supreme Court because, I mean, this is such right. a huge deal to them, you know? Right. And they also are trying to get class action um, status, which, right. you know, right. would make it a little bit better. But I think they're looking for a settlement, too. And I think they're also looking to sort of wake up the world, you know, wake yes. up the market. Make some noise. To, yeah, just make some noise. Like, wait a yeah. minute, everybody. And I and when I reason I chose this this news to, for this week was, you know, we talk a lot about the antitrust uh, complaints against Visa and MasterCard and Apple is one of those interlopers who's facing yep. the same kind of squawking. So, you yep. know, the writing may be on the wall. I mean, you know, certainly people are questioning Apple's um, motives in these kind of situations. Yeah. Well, very interesting. Definitely keep us posted if you hear anything else about this one, Patty. Sure will. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey everybody, Pat and I are here today with C. Shu. He is the founder and CEO at a company called MConnect. How are you doing today? Pretty good, James, and uh, pretty good, Patty. Yep, doing good. Great thanks to meet for you. asking. How about hey, you guys? thanks for coming. Yeah, oh. awesome. So we're, we're going to talk today about a subject that's near and dear to my heart, which mm -hmm. is how do we connect the dots between the point of sale system and the marketing and really mm -hmm. kind of bring these things together, which is what MConnect uh, does very well. But before we dive into that, Sushi, we got to hear your backstory. So how did you get into this industry and how did you end up uh, doing this? You know, what you're doing now? Um, so a little bit, uh, again, um, so coming from uh, India, obviously I got into tech, but I was more of a product side of things. Um, so I always had this entrepreneurial itch right from childhood days, I would say this. So I would say this is my fourth or fifth venture. So I always dabbled in multiple ventures. 
Sure. Um, so before this, like starting M Connect, I was actually uh, running a, a Groupon clone for the Indians here in US. Um, so as part of that, uh, we've actually opened offices in, uh, or we were actually having operations in 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 in, in Dallas, uh, Houston, and Bay Area. And as part of this, like I've interacted with a lot of restaurants. Um, so I was like, we had so many offers from restaurants at that point of time. And while talking to most of the restaurant, as in like these mom and pop restaurant owners, um, one common theme that came across was um, marketing, right? Most of these mom and pop restaurants are the chefs by themselves. Mm-hmm. So when they start the restaurant, they have this great concept, like let's say it's a great pizza place or, or right. a sandwich place. And obviously, or a taco place, and and they got these recipes from their hometowns or through the generations. So when they start this one, um, obviously they put in a lot of effort in terms of building the place and all those kind of things. And marketing was an afterthought for most of them. I would say around ninety to ninety-five percent, and still is the case. Right. Um, so when again, as going back to this, like when we go there and say, "Hey, we will be able to get you business," and obviously, given the group on. At that point, I was taking 50% and they would say uh, it would not cut, but still, okay, let's go ahead and do it kind of a deal. And that's when I figured out most of these mom and pops, as I said, um, they they do like marketing in terms of in fits and bounds. And one of the most common thing, or at least the anecdote that I've heard is like, let's say a, a local uh, coupon person will come in a magazine and say, we are distributing to 50,000 people and there will be a deluge of 2,000 people coming in. Will you be ready? And they would say, yes, I'll be ready. And they will spend $1,000 on that and they will get like four or five coupons, mm-hmm. right? And then they will again go into that loop and then there's another more one more person who will come and say, let's do like uh, postcards and all those kind of things, right? So this was in, in, the, in around like 2012, 2013 kind of a time frame. And that's when I started like looking at few things and I said, okay, this particular industry, restaurant industry specifically needs a better marketing approach. Then, um, so I walked into a restaurant for the very first time. I clearly remember, obviously it's an Indian restaurant. So this guy is a chef. He just opened this. It's called, it was called Underground Indian Cuisine. Um, He's a great friend of mine, obviously. And now he, he still is my client. Um, again, in 2014 timeframe, I said, okay, I'm starting to come up with a new concept um, and I want to do marketing for you. I haven't done specifically marketing per se, but I would like to do something for you kind of a thing. And um, he said, okay, what is that you're going to do for me? And at that point of time, I said, listen, like from a marketing standpoint of view, I have come up with something called an approach called a four Q, like the four quadrant approach in which quadrant one was more to do with your social media and online. I'll make sure that you are present online and social media and all those kind of things. At that time, obviously, social media was up and coming, like Facebook. Right. Wasn't as big of a deal. Right. <clears throat> and then we, we started other quadrants in terms of local community and all those kind of things. And that's when M Connect was started as a pure marketing sure. services company. And obviously, we have like uh, mood still focused on restaurant marketing, but more emphasis on technology and customer engagement and all those kind of things. So, yeah. Yeah. I like it. So, you know, one of the things I love about what you said towards the end there, I'm such a big believer in this, that when you really want to try to sell something or, you know, you want to build something, it's so good to go find one customer at least. And right. And just like, let's see if we can do something for them that's valuable. 
and yep. then and then have some success to build off of. I love that. So I, I want to zoom out for a second before we get, we're going to talk about payments, obviously, and, and what our audience cares about the point of sale system and how this ties together. But first, let's zoom out and talk about marketing. So when you think about marketing for restaurants and small business in general, what are the trends that you've seen over the last five years? Like how has it changed? And then when you look out to the next five years, where is it headed in, in your opinion? Um, so obviously I'm kind of talked a little bit uh, in terms of two parts to the series, right? The first part is obviously like with the advent of social media from a local mom and pop stores point of yeah. view, they were able to compete against the big chains, right? Like uh, obviously that, that was the major thing in terms of ability to identify who your customer is, ability to target that customer with little to no budget. Obviously it's kind of changing now, right? And I'm going right. to talk about that. And then emphasis on in terms of saying, okay, I'm going to actually, again, as I said, right? That's, that's the part number one in terms of the level playing field when it comes to social media and, and, and local channels and all those kind of things, right? They don't have to spend much money on like bigger uh, or, or, or um, channels like TV and all those kind of things. That's number one. Uh, number two is obviously with Corona, what happened was the advent of technology. Um, so in the very initial first couple of months, a lot of people actually kind of panicked, but uh, the adoption of technology in terms of online ordering, in terms of loyalty, or in terms of even front of the house technology has, the adoption has skyrocketed over the past two to three years, right? right. Uh, right. That's, uh, the, that's a major change I've actually has seen. And then with this one was like, again, a um, lot of people have started putting faith more in terms of marketing. As I said early on, initially it used to be an afterthought, but right now it's it starts right before people have started opening their stores and where they've actually said, okay, I'm opening my store in the next couple of months. What should I do in order for me to yeah. um, get more customers, right? The very simple thing that one can do is put up a banner right at front where there's traffic coming on uh, build a website or a landing page saying that coming soon, give your email ID. That itself will actually get you tons of, as an said, tons, I'm interested from a customer's perspective, even before they open, they will actually get good customers, right? So, yeah. so in terms of, again, as I said, technology adoption and in terms of level playing field from a social media aspect, and then making marketing as one of the important pillars when it comes to marketing, uh, right? So those were the trends that uh, I have seen happen in the past five years. And in the next five years, building on this technology adoption would be more and more in terms of um, seeing data as, as an integral part of making sure that you're doing business right. When I say data in terms of customer data, in terms of in yep. your inventory, financials, and all those kind of things, right? And then building on that would be, again, um, you might have been seeing a lot of talk about robots be, be, with the with the uh, um, problems that we are facing from a manpower perspective. So that would actually change quite a bit, right? We have seen a number of shows where a lot of robots are actually kind of like replacing them and all those kind of things. That's again, uh, that would be a major uh, change in terms of uh, from a technology standpoint of view, right? Um, and then the 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 thing it would be. Um, the second one would be more in terms of, um, again, as I said, data, given the fact that in the previous life or when I say like three, four years or at least two to three years back, when whenever we used to post content on social media, we used to get quite a bit of traction. Now you have to kind of start uh, paying for, for that, right? Yeah. 
pay for play kind of a thing. Even that's the same thing on, on, on Google as well. The per click metric used to be maybe 30, 40 cents. Right now it is over a dollar and the cost of acquisition has skyrocketed. So customers would be, or our clients would be more focused on saying, okay, I want to own my data. And that means I'll be able to connect with the customer much more uh, this one, right? Um, that would be the second trend I would say, or at least we are trying to push it and, and we are seeing a trend in that. And the okay. third one would be more in terms of, um, again, as I said, right? Like marketing is not an afterthought, but in terms of looking at customer engagement, right? Like when I say customer engagement, it right from creating awareness about the brand and, and kind of um, loyalties, uh, like it's not just one part transaction. It would be a continuum in terms of focusing on how can I basically keep constantly um, reminding a customer that I'm here and what kind of customer data can I do? And loyalty has been moving away from loyalties. It's like, again, as I said, it's not like a one part series. It would be more of a customer engagement index right. in the sense that I want to constantly keep focusing on the customer so that I'm, I'm reminding them of my new offers, my new things, or if someone is uh, posting some content on my thing, how can I actually make this customer come back and see the content and all those kind of things. So these are the few trends that I would expect moving forward in terms of uh, uh, next few years, actually next three to four years. Okay, so let's let's bring it back to, to our audience just a little bit closer to home. You know, there's a lot of, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of data that gets collected at the point of sale. And I'm just hoping you could speak to how this data, um, you know, fits into marketing, you know, how we can um, help clients, how our, our listeners can help clients, you know, collect more pertinent data during the transaction and, you know, its importance in the marketing scheme. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you, again, as I was saying, right, like, Data is, is, is key, again, right from mom and pops to chains and all those kind of things, right? So when it comes to point of sale system, um, let's just imagine like a, a, a customer walks into the door, right? When they walk into the door, they might actually have a coupon with them or they are coming there for the first time. So right now, the point of sale systems that are there actually have the capability to identify if it's a first time point of a first time customer, um, they can actually give them some kind of rewards and all those kind of things. So in terms of, um, and then you can also collect a lot of other information, right? Like what kind of credit card are they um, using, right? Is it possible for um, employees to be trained in such a way that, hey, you're coming here for the first time. Do you want to give us your email ID or your phone number to be part of this? So all these, again, from a customer perspective, right there, and then you can collect a lot of data which then you can kind of, let's assume this way, I got like 50 customers today um, and then I'm downloading that customer data and I want to see how many of them actually paid with credit card and how many of them paid with cash, right? And then in that I can analyze and say if the average or order value for a um, credit card would be always, most of the times would be higher. So can mm -hmm. I actually increase it? Can I push people towards credit card sales then cash so that the order value increases, right? Um, the second set of data that you can, as I said, like, can we collect uh, um, phone numbers? And, and they would be part of, uh, maybe we can send out an email to them say, or an SMS saying that, thank you very much for visiting. Um, here is a link, let us 
or we did it, right? Um, or if it is a repeat customers, then we can actually see um, when did they last come and and, and can we actually uh, get them back into the door after like a couple of weeks or something like that. So there are multiple things that you as a restaurant owner or a marketing person can guide the restaurant owner to collect um, different pieces of data right at the point of sale system. And again, bear in mind, it's not just the data collection. You also have to make sure that there is some person who, who dedicate, not dedicated, but at least spend some time looking at the data, making sense of this data, and then coming up with some marketing actions so that you would see that, okay, whatever marketing action you're doing, is it impacting? Like, for example, I said, when you collect the phone numbers and you send an SMS, um, we have the capability to identify how many of them are actually clicking on the link and how many of them are actually uh, giving us the feedback. And based on the feedback, we can either direct them to Yelp or, or Google or something to have more number of reviews, right? So the more number of reviews you have, you will actually definitely get the more customers you would actually get down the line because from an SEO standpoint of view and people are looking at reviews and all those kind of things, right? So there's a cascading effect that one can actually do um, with regards to the data collected at the point of sale system. But again, one actually has to make a dedicated effort in looking at this and making sure that data collected is used rightly at the right time. Yeah, and I think I hear what I hear you saying from a big picture is, is really about segmentation, right? So the idea is, as social media marketing becomes more expensive and more necessary at the same time, in order for a business to be successful, it's not going to be enough to say, oh, I need to target all 500,000 people that are in my metropolitan area. It's like, no, that's way too expensive. So instead, maybe you say, well, I know there's a thousand people that visited my restaurant in the last, you know, whatever it was, 30 days. And so I'm going to target them with a special offer. And not only that, but I could even go farther and say, I'm going to split that into three groups and I'm going to target people that generally come at lunch and people that generally come at dinner and people that normally come with the family or, you know, whatever. And so I think what I hear you saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is, you know, in order to, you know, for a restaurant to continue to thrive in the environment, they need this data from the point of sale that says who these customers are and how they're behaving. And then they need to take that data and use it to, in order to do targeted marketing in order to keep their costs effective and drive results. Is that accurate? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So okay. the cost of acquisition for a new customer is, Again, it ranges from $10 to $15, depending upon like what kind of channel you use, right? But if it's an existing customer, um, so it is very easy for us to kind of tell them, hey, you visited last month. You mm -hmm. basically, um, let's assume you ate margarita pizza and you gave us a five-star review. So that means if James comes to my pizza and I know that he gave a five-star and if I just kind of like remind him saying that, hey, whenever you are in the market for a pizza, just think about my pizza. So James is much more likely to heed to that message than I'm trying to find some ex right. and again trying to convince him to right, come to my right. pizza place. Yeah, so, so we got we to bring new people in. And then once we get them in, we got to collect some data so we can keep them coming back, right? Yes. So yes, absolutely. So at, at, at M-Connect, we, again, as I was talking, right, like it's not... Uh, one one interaction with a with a customer. We call this as a customer engagement model, where the engagement begins right from the awareness stage, sure. where we are we are where we are saying how can I as a restaurant owner, which is my my clients live or work or go to school within three to five mile radius, 
right? Yeah. Beyond that, the probability of anyone coming to my restaurant is very low. So uh, let me focus on that three to five mile radius, which starts with awareness, right? Sure. And once I'm once they're aware of my brand, then they'll start engaging with my brand, which like that means proactively they are going onto my website, onto my review sites, and trying to figure out what I have to offer as a restaurant owner, right? And if they like what they see, and they become an actual customer, like either they walk into the store or they basically buy it online or maybe go to third party like DoorDash. And the experience based on their, uh, their, their experience at that stage will make them a loyal customer. That means whenever I think of a, a pizza place, I'm going to my pizza, right? Or I would consider my pizza apart from other couple of other pizza places, right? And then if I'm extremely satisfied, then I'll start referring this brand to my friends and family, which is we, we call as advocacy, which kind of leads to more awareness. Sure. So this is in a nutshell is like in a continuum where we are saying that as a customer or as a marketing person or as a restaurant owner, you need to think of all these phases. And at each yeah. phase, there is certain set of customer data that you can collect or where the customer is involuntarily giving and or you can guide them to kind of say, hey, right now you're visiting us for the next time. Second time, we actually have a birthday uh, club. Do you want to join that? Right, right. right. Uh, those kind of details that you need to focus on from a, from a, a sure. data perspective, right? So, you know, when you think about our audience, of course, which is, you know, individual agents and ISOs that sell payment processing services, you know, frankly, <clears throat> you know, they love these conversations. It's always really interesting, but... At the end of the day, they sell payment processing. Um, some of them have gotten pretty good at selling point of sale systems, right? So, what are the steps that they can take to, um, you know, start adding more value to their clients as far as marketing without really taking their foot off the gas in terms of selling payment processing services, which is their primary focus? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on that trend, right? Like, uh, we would love to partner with uh, ISOs or agents, right? And we don't want them to stay away from their central lane, which is basically your payment process. Right. But given the competition within, uh, within the restaurant industry, and there's also competition among different restaurants, you would like to be presented, when I say you, as an, I'm talking about an agent, you right. want to present yourself as a, as a um, as a trusted advisor, right? And, right? and then with that effect, what I would suggest is maybe before, if it is an existing customer, again, there are two sets, right? Like one is an, you already have a relationship with the existing client where right. let's assume they're processing $5,000 as an example. So your thing should be, how can I increase that 5,000 to 6,000? Are there any conversations that I can actually do in terms of increasing their revenue or decreasing their cost? And given the fact that I already have relationship with them, maybe you might want to just take a, a little bit of uh, research on there. What, what exactly are they doing from a marketing standpoint and all those kind of things and see, hey, is there anything that we can actually do with to help you out in other areas, right? And listen to them, right? That's if you already have an existing relationship. But if it's a new customer or a new agent or, or, or a new relationship that you are basically trying to, I would suggest that obviously, again, I'm not saying that you should deviate from your sales pitch of saying payment processing, but at the same time, you might want to also say, hey, I belong to a group or we have some other people who might be able to help you uh, depending upon how it goes. And, and to be very frank, again, as I said, right, like it has to be more coming from, um, you should try to place yourself as a trusted advisor where you can actually say that I am here to sell payments, but at the same time, if you have any other issues, that we can help you with, 
either I can help you or there's one more person who can actually come and talk to you if you're interested. Okay, so what about the ISO with a team of agents? I mean, is, a, is your advice something that would seem that your advice might be different in that case in terms of steps they can take to offer um, marketing services to their clients and the benefits of doing so? Um, so from an ISO, the central theme would be the same, right? End of the day, it would be a trusted advisor. But from an ISO point of view, let's assume right now we are working with a very large ISO and their main concern is would be, hey, how can the process be handled in such a way that um, there is no uh, disruption in terms of the overall process, in terms of the current clients or new clients, the process has to be smooth. Mm -hmm. um, so. From a, if it is an ISO, you need to look at like if I'm partnering with someone who can actually deliver these value-added services like marketing, like we do, you uh -huh. need to focus on whether the company actually has the right product. And if they have the right product, can they onboard merchants in a in a in a seamless fashion so that um, like there is a referral, um, it's passed on to another team within M Connect who can actually process it and see if they actually have the right um if they're a right fit or not if they're a right fit and obviously kind of getting the pre uh, onboarding stage in terms of getting all the information from the client and then getting them onboarded in terms of coming up with a marketing plan and executing the plan and then following and so on and so forth so from a iso team team of agents perspective i would say that like it's obviously again the central emphasis should be on the value added service but at the same time what would be the after like in the sense after sales process in terms of whether the company um, has um, good support model whether they can actually handle the kind of if there are 50 clients or 50 agents can they handle let's say 10 leads a day or 50 leads a day kind of a deal right okay so you know i know you've touched on this but maybe if you could sort of like elaborate for us um tell us exactly um, what it is your company does and how it how it partners with with ISOs and, and agents. Could you give us a little sense of that, please? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, we, we are a Dallas-based, um, we consider ourselves to a marketing technology company. Okay. Right. Um, so our emphasis again, our, our, we basically operate within the restaurant and retail side, um, where we focus on what we call as customer engagement. For us, if you take a, a mom and pop store or even a small chain, which is trying to come up, like right now we are working with a chain here in Dallas, which has like around 40 locations and they're trying to expand, right? So if you take a new restaurant and, and they want to establish themselves in a new place, right? So we will be their trusted advisor when it comes to marketing. What I mean by that is like, we will make sure right from making sure that the brand is known within the three to five mile radius, which we call as the awareness stage, Right, and then um, basically coming up with content and implementation strategies, which comes in the engagement stage, where we can come up with like social media strategies or local marketing strategies and all those kind of things, and then um, converting those customers into the actual customers through our online ordering platform, and then they're on implementing the loyalty and the advocacy phase. So, in a nutshell, I would say that. We are like a one-stop shop from a restaurant marketing needs perspective. It uh -huh. is not just the technology, but also the implementation services, which differentiates us when it comes to any other player in the market. And, and the way we differentiate ourselves, as I said, is like it's the, the, the technology and the implementation. 
And we also back it up with our pricing model or our revenue model where we say that um, for a very low price plus if we get any results, that's when you pay us. So that way, um, if any mom and pop, most of them say that, hey, I've spent like $1,000 on marketing and I'm not seeing any results, right? Where we say that you don't have to pay thousands of dollars, right? And you only pay us when we actually are showing you results in terms of like either increased online orders, increased band awareness and all those kind of things. And and so, and then to clarify for our audience, a big part of that is your integration with existing point of sale solutions that they might be selling uh, already. Is that is that part of it as well? And then, and then also talk about the fact that I'm assuming there's like a revenue share component where they would be able to make money by selling this service as well. Yes, yes. So our technology is actually integrated into multiple point of sale systems like uh, Clover, uh, Focus, Square, um, right? There's a local chain called Foodronics, Aldelo. These are some of the chains that are some of the point of sale systems that we are integrated into. Um, and in terms of, uh, we are open to integrating with other uh, point of sale systems as well, depending upon the market need. And in terms of revenue share, absolutely, right? Like we do actually have a, a pretty good uh, revenue or, or a revenue sharing model where um, whatever we make, we give like uh, it's on a recurring basis, X percentage of the revenues will actually sure. go to the uh, sure. referral partner. Yeah, and I think one of the important things to, to point out here as well is, you know, some of these deals haven't been as attractive to our audience because the companies really didn't actually do that much. They had a technology that was supposed to magically increase business, which if implemented correctly would work pretty well. But I think what you're doing with the implementation, you know, there's going to be a lot more revenue generation because it's based more on results. So hopefully you're getting more revenue. So it's a, it's a bigger opportunity. So I, I really like it. And I want to have you on too, primarily because anytime we see something that's integrated with Clover and these other point of sale systems that are really popular in our industry that can help business owners, I think that's something we need to pay attention to in the market. So mm-hmm. for those who do want to learn more about uh, you and about the company, where would you send them so they could learn more about um, partnerships? So. Y- Obviously, the first uh, would be our website is mconnect.com. Again, connect with a K and it's M-K-O-N-N-E-K-T.com. And you can also email us at uh, marketing at mconnect.com. And one of our um, uh, team members will be uh, more than happy to schedule a call and see how we can actually work together, what we do and what is the value proposition. And, and again, obviously, what would be the next steps in terms of training and all those kind of things. Love it. And so that was M Connect, and there's two K's there. So it's M K O N N E K T dot com. Uh, Sishu, thank you so much for taking time to share the insights with us today. Really appreciate it. And thank you again for uh, just sharing your expertise over the years of working with these uh, clients on the marketing side. All right. Thanks, James. Thanks very much for your time as well. And uh, thanks, Patty, for your time too. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.